0: Live from the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're doing all we can to understand Christianity in the age of fulfillment. That's an important clarification. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we seek you, love you, and need you. We're grateful for your uh, presence by your spirit, because of the work, finished work of your son. So we pray that we will have a uh, sound understanding with each other tonight. The things I say, which are not relevant or true to be forgotten, and that truth seekers, your sons and daughters will grow in faith because of this effort in Jesus name. Amen. I was just sitting here waiting for things to get going. And I picked up this BYU magazine. I don't know if you can see it. Seth, can you push in on that? I don't know if you can. Uh, we have a very nice-looking camera operator pushing in on this right now. And uh, it's kind of bright. Can you see it? Can you see it? This is uh, These are two beings, almost identical, except the Father is a little bit bigger, and uh, they're supposed to represent the first vision. So we've been talking about the Trinity. The Mormons have their version of Godhead, in that uh, the father is a physical being resurrected. The son, of course, is a physical being resurrected, bodies of flesh and bone, and the Holy Spirit is going to get a body of flesh and bone eventually. Anyway, I sincerely hope you're all doing well in these strange times. I hope and pray that both friend and foe alike have the love of God pouring down upon them, and that in these trying times you are drawing closer to the living God. Before we get to our emails from last week, there's a lot of them actually, uh, I promised that I would address some of the major passages in the Bible that are used by uh, people who support the man-made doctrine of the Trinity. And of course, I'm going to hit on the top passages from the Old Testament and the New, and I'm only going to hit on probably five to eight different passages. There are more, certainly, uh, but there's, real, there's some, some really important clarifications that have to be understood here. Uh, we have a respondent named David from a week or so back, and he sent me some passages he wanted me to consider, and so I'm going to address some of those along with, with others he didn't include. But let me make these things clear. I realize more and more as I study in this topic why I am so misunderstood um, relative to the man-made doctrine of the Trinity and why my own views about the makeup of God are so uh, off-putting to some people. Um, The first reason, and it's all on me, because I have incorrectly taken two terms and I've used them synonymously in describing what the Trinity is. And I was taught this way and that's why I freely use those terms interchangeably. But somebody who commented on one of the shows a week or so ago, let me know that this was incorrect and and corrected me. And so I see the error of my ways. So to clarify, there is one being in the Trinity, there's one being who is called God. All right? Um, and there are three persons Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They, what I used to do and have done as recently as last week, and I've said there are three beings or persons, and, and I've used those terms being and person. Interchangeably. And that's led to some confusion, both on my part and on, and for people who understand the Trinity better than I do. So they wrote and said, no, Sean, there's one being. That's God in the middle. Being one. Then there are persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are persons. The one being. The Father is in, is the one being. The Son is the one being. The Holy Spirit is the one being. Okay. But the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. And, uh, the Father is not the Son. So that's, that's why you have that, that Venn diagram that it helps explain God. Additionally, the one being God is the one eternal person. Uh, in in regards to the Trinity, the one being God is the one God, God part of the Trinity and the three separate and distinct persons are the three of the Trinity. And so that is a pretty clear explanation of the Trinity up to that point. The problem where I get in with the Trinity is I don't dispute that there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So just understand that. You have to be an idiot to say there's not a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, they're all over the Scripture, the New Testament. So we, any passage that talks about three does not prove the Trinity to me. Understand that. I agree with the three, but I don't agree with the Trinity's explanation that the three... Father, Son, Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal, uncreated from before the beginning. That scripture does not support. Okay. That's the man-made part of the Trinity that I don't agree with. Do I agree that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are um, uh, eternal? Yes. Yes. Do I believe that uh, they are co-equal and uncreated? Yes. But I don't believe they're three separate persons pre-existent to this earth and their mission here. Okay? I certainly believe they are three separate persons post the incarnation and the day of Pentecost. Okay? And I'll explain that. But just understand... Just because there's three does not make the Trinity true. And just because there's three does not prove the Trinity. And just because there's three, I agree with that there's three. All right. So um, I suggest that there was one being, um, God at the incarnation, who is the father. You see, you see the difference? The Trinity says there's one being and there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I suggest there's one being, the Father, you see? And that the word of the Father became flesh in the Son and that the pneuma or breath of the Father became the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And that's how I see it, you see? And that's why I differ from the Trinity. And, and so... Um, it's important to try to understand I have no issue with the following points of doctrine that there is one god no problem I believe this that there are three manifestations of the one god to us through himself as father through his son Jesus Christ and through the holy spirit no problem agreed and that all three father the word the numa are equal and eternal no problem. Agreed. Okay. So I, I there's a lot of things where there's crossover that I agree with the Trinity. And and so this is why it's so difficult when I get involved in it, because there are some specific sticking points that the scripture does not prove and that men have made it say. And those are the parts that I say, no, I don't agree with it on that. Okay. So, again, any passage that speaks to these three biblically supported truths, if you find a passage that says there's one God, if you find a passage that talks about, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or any of that, I'm say fine. Thumbs up. So don't send me passages. Sean, this proves the Trinity. See, it talks about the Father, and it talks about the Son, and it talks about the Holy Spirit. Trinity! No! No! Don't send me those passages. I know those passages. Okay? So. Let's take all those passages right off the table and uh, the man-made doctrine of the Trinity that I don't agree with. This is the parts I don't agree with. That the three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make up the one God. I don't believe that if you remove the father from the picture that God ceases to exist. So, but that's kind of, uh, that's kind of debatable actually in my own mind. I just don't believe that you have to have three to make up the one being that makes up the one being. And that's because of the way I see of where the three came from. And you'll understand that later. Secondly, I don't endorse the idea that the three were co-eternal, co-equal persons. Persons. That's the big key. That have always existed, uncreated, co-equal, and make up the one God. I reject the three-personhood ploy created by man fully. I don't believe Pre-incarnate Christ Jesus was a smaller version of his daddy, with a shorter gray beard and not his gray hair. I don't believe the Holy Spirit is a third person of the of the other two that is co-equal and it's a person and they can sit and play cards with each other. And I say it in that way not to make light of it, but to use it as an illustration. I don't think that they could be neighbors. I don't see the persons that that men created to give us the fictional trinity. I see beings, not beings, I see God expresses himself in ways that came into being as persons. But I don't see the Trinitarian notion of the three co-eternal beings living on Maple Street uh, in in the yellow house, the red house and the gray house and then making up the one being. I refute that completely. All right. Does it mean I don't think that Jesus of Nazareth had a pre-existent status? I do believe he had a pre-existent status but not as Jesus and not as a third person who lived next door to the guy in the red house who lived next door to the guy in the gray house. Okay, similarly, I don't see the Holy Spirit as an eternal person that lives in the gray house. I see the Holy Spirit as something different than the persons that the the Trinity creates. So... Again, uh, those are the things that I have problems with. And let me just talk to you really quickly about the views of God so that we understand. There is first no God view. That's atheism. Then we have the agnostic. I am ag, I am agnosis, without knowledge. So that person says, I don't have any knowledge Of God, I can't tell you if there's a God or not and what he or she or it is made of. The next one says, I believe that there's a higher power out there. And that's used by the 12 step programs, that there's a God out there that's bigger and superior to me. But I cannot tell you what that God is. But I believe there's one there where the agnostic says, I don't know that one there. And the atheist says, there's not one there. And then we have the polytheistic view of God, which is there are a multiplicity of gods. There are a number of gods, okay? And that would be Hinduism. They believe there's all sorts of gods. And then we have the henotheistic view. And the henotheistic view says, we believe in one God, but we know there are a lot of gods behind or around him. That's what the Mormons say. Mormons are henotheistic, they're not polytheistic. If you say to a Mormon, is there one God? They'll say, well, there's one God with which we have to do. That means there is one God, the Father, who gave them their planet, and they live on it, and they're his uh, sons and daughters by birth. And that's a henotheistic view of God. They, and if you say, well, does that God have a father? Well, yes, he does. Is he a God? Well, yes, he is. So they have a number of gods in place, but they only relate to the one. And then we have the various Christian views and I say Christian liberally and mean it that are variations of what we call creedal Trinitarianism. And that is being the first one is there is one God and um, who is made up or consists of three existing persons. All right, from that we have various variations. The first one is is the modalist or the oneness Pentecostal view. And that view says God is the father. There's one God. Okay. Now, and just in explaining this, you're going to understand the frailty of these positions because they say God is the father who is fully represented as God the father because he's God the father who's fully represented in his son who's fully represented in the Holy Spirit. That's modalism. God the Father is fully in the Son, fully in the Holy Spirit. Why is it a problem? Because if you believe that, then you believe that Jesus died when he died on the cross. The Father died on the cross. And that is the problem with Oneness Pentecostal view and modalism. Even though I adhere to a lot of what modalism believes. But nevertheless, the Father did not die on the cross. And, and oneness Pentecostals say that the fullness of the Father was in the Son, and then we have a problem, okay? <clears throat> we have the Sabellianist view. And it's Sabellianism is a form of modalism. And what that view says is the Father became the Son, and then the Son became the Holy Spirit. So that has its own problems when it comes to arguing. You know, if that's true, the Father became the Son. Then who was Jesus praying to? So you have that problem with Sabellianist modalism. Modalism. So all of them have some issues, and of course we have the Trinitarian, which I'll repeat is one being God, that is uh, consists of a person called the Father, a person called the Son, and a person called the Holy Spirit. That existed forever, okay? That's the Trinitarian view. Next week, I'm going to share with you my view. And after really looking into it, I have come up with what I actually think the scripture says about God. It, in, it involves some modalism, but nevertheless, let's get on with your uh, uh, biggest scriptures that support or people say support the doctrine of the Trinity, Okay, and again, I'm going to ignore the passages that just simply mention three. I agree with that, all right. Genesis, there are passages in the Old Testament where God is referred to in a plural. So I'm gonna talk about those. Let us make man, let us, God says, make man in our own image, Genesis 1.26. And God said in Genesis 3.22, since the man has become like one of us, Knowing good from evil, he must not reach out, and take from the tree of life, and eat and live forever. And let us go down, and can, let us go down and confuse their language. That's Genesis 11:7. And there are a number of other passages that include the "us" in when God is speaking. Let us. These are biggies for uh, what I would call zealous Trinitarians, and who often speak without knowledge. The reason I say that respectfully is because even Trinitarian scholars realize that these are not great supports for the idea of the Trinity. Uh, They are are supported through another line of thought, which I'll explain right now. Um, Most scholars believe that what is being done here is the way a noble would speak about himself. And this is one way to view it. So it refers to a singular self as we. So someone comes into a king sitting on his throne and said, "Uh, what do you think about the goose out in the the garden? And the king, who's a singular, says, we are very pleased with the goose. That's nobility language. And it is believed that in some cases this might be what's happening in the Old Testament. That being said, I have no problem with this pa- these passages, those like them, having God referring to his word and his pneuma or breath with God being the consuming fire in nature and a spirit. But again, that does not prove the Trinitarian doctrine. Even if that's the case, even if when God says, let us, it does not prove that these are persons. It doesn't prove that. It just says that God is asking or saying, there's more of you, I want to do something. Now, is he speaking about uh, his son and the Holy Spirit or who Jesus was pre-incarnate and the Holy Spirit before Jesus was pre-incarnate? We don't know. So it's a leap. It's an assumption to believe that that is what God is saying. And you're having to uh, really Speak into that scripture and give it to its meaning to conform to your belief that there's a trinity because the scholars suggest that in all probability if it's not no, no noble language of like we are pleased with the goose then it's probably God speaking to angels and and many Trinitarian scholars believe that's God speaking to angels okay so it could also be, instead of the nobility argument, be like God speaking to himself, sort of nobility, kind of like if you have to move a bunch of stuff on a Saturday and you're really tired and you get up and you're sitting on the edge of your bed and you said, okay, let's do this thing. You, the, the let's do this thing sounds like it's a plural, but you're only talking to yourself, we got to do this, you say to yourself. Same type of thing is what they suggest, okay? The next one, which is boilerplate um, Trinitarian rhetoric. You get it all the time. We got to c- cover this. And that is the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In the Hebrew, uh, the Yahweh our Elohim is one Yahweh. That's what it says, Okay. The commentator David wrote in Genesis and in the Shema, God called, God is called Elohim. And and David wrote this, this denotes a plurality of gods in the Hebrews definition of the word End quote, David, whoa, 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 a plurality of gods, um, It's really convenient to, and I hear, I've heard it since I went to uh, Calvary Chapel School of Ministry, that Christians blanketly state Elohim, it's Eli and then the heme, I am added to it, the suffix I am is plural. And so other Christians hear that and they say Elohim's plural. Elohim's plural. That's what Joseph Smith did. He didn't realize, he thought it was God's proper noun name, but he still believed that it was a plural. Um, But It is, we hear this from Mormons and Trinitarians alike. But remember, while Elohim is sometimes used as a name for a God, or God, or a judge in the land, and Elohim is a plural form because of the suffix I am, this does not mean that the God spoken of here or that a judge spoken of there is plural. And that is the mistake we non-Hebrew readers make trying to find certainty where there is none. See, Hebrew is a gendered language and a gendered language in one, all verbs and all nouns and adjectives and adverbs must agree in tense and in number in a sentence. And so when Elohim is used as a God referent, meaning it refers to God, and remember, it is sometimes used to describe individuals like judges or a king in a situation, it is invariably used with singular verb, adjective, and adverbial uh, forms, And so therefore, we understand that those phrases Elohim is in a singular word, though it has a plural form. If you don't understand that, you're going to find what you want to believe in scriptures like that. So even when Elohim is used, for instance, there are plural nouns in Hebrew that aren't plurals at all. For instance, the the Hebrew word for water is mayim, I am added, May, M-A-Y, I am added, just like Elohim, I am added. Water is therefore uh, thought of as a plural, but it's not, it's singular. So even when Elohim is used to describe a noble person or a judge and is written in the plural form, it does not make a judge a plural being. When we go to the English literal reading of the Hebrew, in the beginning God and you reorder those words into English the proper way, it says, at the start, Elohim created. At the start, Elohim created, which is, are you ready, folks? In the masculine singular. So that Elohim is a plural argument. It's not a great one to prove the Trinity in these passages. And that's why the best scholars don't resort to them. This stuff are are parlor tricks by people who haven't dove in deep and countered their prejudices with information. They want to believe it says that. They see it as saying that, but they haven't done the research for it. So add into the context that the great Shema um, to any Jew, clearly in the Hebrew says God is one, 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 No plurality. Yahweh is one. And the repetition of here, O Israel, the Yahweh our Elohim is one Lord. That repetition there uh, in the five five and six, verses five and six confirmed to the Jew uh, to the Jew there's not two or three. It's not plural. Okay? So uh, that Elohim argument is, is kind of bad. In Exodus, uh, David writes, we read about an angel of the Lord entering into a bush and speaking to Moses, but the language of the text denotes the angel is divine. Not once in the passage does it state that God spoke from the angel or that the angel said this to God or God told me to speak to you. In fact, the whole passage says it, uh, that the Lord was speaking. All right, the Septuagint translation for angel here is angelos, and it means messenger. And uh, the messenger of Yahweh is what it says, the messenger of Yahweh. The fact that Yahweh sent his messenger in no way supports the Trinitarian dogma of three persons, co-eternal, co-uncreated, making up the one God. It doesn't support it at all. David writes we see another example of this in Genesis 6 where Hagar runs away because she doesn't like the way Sarai is treating her again we see that the angel is referred to as the Lord and even Hagar says that she gave a name to the Lord that spake to her as the Lord that seeth me if it was just an angel wouldn't Hagar refer to it as such that's your thinking I don't know that's that's taking a passage and, and, and saying saying this about it, reading into it, isogetical understanding of a passage. Wouldn't Hagar have, I don't know, but again, these passages, these are passages that can be massaged to support a view, but they are not conclusive in their meaning. And frankly, we do not know who or what God's messengers were in the old testament. It could be that even an angel was considered divine if it was under God's divine uh, directive to go and say something. So you can't just say because these things occur, it's supporting the Trinity. Then we heard in Isaiah 6, 8, then I heard a voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. This is a passage that LDS often refer to as God Saying, Who will I send in the pre council? And Jesus saying, Send me, right? And so it's showing that there was a pre existence of Jesus and that God the Father said, Who will I send? And Jesus says, Send me. That's the implication from it. Um, this is another passage in which God is used in the plural pronoun in connection with himself. The grammar of the verses is follow. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I sin? First person, common, singular. And who will go for us? First person, common, plural. The singular verb cannot have a plural pronoun as its antecedent. Again, God must be addressed, addressing someone else in this statement. So that's okay with you and that's okay with me. He's addressing someone else. Whatever or whomever he's addressing, we know that it was only God who was doing the sending. That's one of the first things. Considering that the context of the chapter 6, there's a lot of angelic activity. That This is context now, okay? We pulled that passage from it, verses 2 through 3, verses 6 through 7. It's not that strange to think that the Lord was addressing angels. Again, this is the idea of let us, who's the us? Angels. And it seems to be that case in most of these instances. Uh, and even Trinitarian scholars admit this. But it might seem strange to think, well, why would God ask angels for a plan of action to take against the rebels at the Tower of Babel? That's the context here. Does God need advice from anyone? And even though God does not need advice, it's evidence that he does seek after it in Scripture. It's evident. Uh, There's a detailed account of God corresponding with angels that comes up to come up with a plan of action in, in 1 Kings 22:19 19 through 23. In that passage, Micaiah, Micaiah, the prophet, told Ahab and Jehoshaphat that he saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. That's verse 19. This is clearly an assembling of the angels, as Job talks about. And the purpose of this meeting was to discuss a plan of action to bring about Ahab's death. So we see in scripture that God does call. God does have counsels and he does talk to angels about plans. The Lord posed the question to the angelic host, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go and fall upon, go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. And there was an actual debate indicated by the phrase. And one said on this manner and another said on that manner. So the angels threw in the hat their thoughts. Finally, an angel comes up with a way to persuade Ahab that God was pleased with, verse 21. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so, verse 22. If the Lord wants the input of his angels before executing his plan, whether it's in the creation or whether it's in anything else, that's his decision. And he's involved with their mission. But... Uh, that does not support the fact of a trinity. You have to read into that to believe it. Again, I always say and will always maintain the trinity has to be taught. And once it's taught, it will then be seen. Just to talk one more from the Old Testament, there are a number of others Trinitarians use, but Isaiah 9, 6, and I just want to point this one out. It supports my view rather than the Trinitarian view even though it was presented to me as a a passage that supports the Trinity. You'll all know this one. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Well, we're talking about Jesus, right? Child born, son given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, Jesus' shoulder, and his name Jesus shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, The Everlasting Father, capital F, the Prince of Peace. This is one of the only places in the Old Testament where God is described as Father with a capital F. And in this passage, it's only speaking about the Son. So really what you have there is oneness Pentecostal view being supported, not the Trinity. If Jesus is being called the Father... All right, let's jump out to the New Testament. Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I have no problem at all with Jesus being God with us. He was. So to me, this passage is perfect as it sits. I agree with it. Jesus was God with us. I have no problem with it. It doesn't say anything about the Trinity. I I do not deny that Jesus was God with us. So that's not the problem with the Trinity that I have. So don't use that passage because I agree with it. Jesus was God with us. Other non-Trinitarians don't often agree that Jesus was God with us. I disagree with them completely. All right. So then there's another one. Matthew 3, 16, 17. Which Trinitarians think is their passage, but it plainly describes my view of God again saying, And Jesus was baptized. He went immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit descending, spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, Trinitarians say, see, see, all three are present. No problem. No problem. Again, three do not make the definition of creedal Trinitarianism. I have no problem with the three, but the fact that there are three present here perfectly illustrates what God has done to reach and reconcile humanity to himself. God, the one being, God, the being, speaks from heaven about an earthly graft of himself in the earthly realm, his son, and his holy breath that descends upon his son. Understand that completely. You know, God speaks from heaven. And he speaks about his son who is God with us. And about the Holy Spirit that is descending upon his son. This is this is not a support for Trinitarianism. It's a partial support for it. But it's also a partial support for most other Christian derivatives of the Trinity. All right, where does the voice come from heaven? Whose voice was it? God, the Father, as Paul describes him. God, there's one God, and that's the Father. He speaks, identifying his only human son, Jesus of Nazareth, as his spirit, the Holy Pneuma, descends. All the players present are God, but they are not three co-equal, co-eternal, persons and that again is my issue with the trinity uh i don't see that passage supporting it now let's get to the biggie this is these last couple are biggies before we go to the phones um, matthew twenty-eight nineteen, huge for trinitarians love this one as jesus apparently says to his disciples before ascending to his father go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. David asked this question about this passage. Why are all three persons of the Trinity denoted here? Why not instruct people to just be baptized in the name of the Father or the Father and Son? Why three separate persons? I don't see uh, three separate persons delineated there. I see three separate names being, uh, and it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If it were three separate person, it would should say names in my estimation. So I don't see that. but But it is a good question, David. And perhaps the better question is, though, is instead of why are the three names of the Trinity denoted here, the better question is why don't the disciples in any of the accounts of Acts do what Jesus told them to do. Not one. I mean, they directly disobey these very explicit on-the-nose instructions Jesus gives to them, but instead of baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in the -the on-the-nose Trinitarian description, they baptize only in Jesus' name, all through the book of Acts, You cannot find one scripture in all of the apostolic record that has anyone baptize anyone in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives this advice, apparently, uh, at the Great Commission before he ascends and then none of his apostles follow it. Now, doesn't that make you say, hmm, what is that all about? Interestingly, Eusebius Who is one of the earliest, most noted church historians? When he recites this passage, he only mentions Jesus baptizing in the name of the Lord. He doesn't cite Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's funny, isn't it? The historian doesn't cite Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Matthew 28 at 19. Uh, Look, it's two on the nose. I'm sticking my neck out on this uh, explanation here because I realize there's a number of factors that refute it. But I admit that there are other church leaders besides Eusebius, the historian, who have cited Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before him. Uh, And I realize that, uh, that you can take those recitations in church history after 70 AD and use them as evidence that it was authentically in the original manuscripts. Do we have other evidences that uh, Scripture has been manipulated on the Trinity? We do. And so because I have other versions that prove, actually prove, that the Scripture was manipulated on the Trinity, I suggest that this was a manipulation. It could have been something that was inserted very early on. It could have been something that wasn't even inserted uh, before the Trinitarian Council came about because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were known throughout Scripture. I don't know the reason, but I don't believe it's what Jesus said. Because if it was what Jesus said, then the apostles would have stuck to baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they don't do it. And that's the greatest evidence that someone snuck that in there, trying to clarify what they believed was an important point of doctrine that people need to understand. What are the other evidences of manipulation from Trinitarians in the Holy Scripture? Well, uh, John's first epistle, and most of you know this, uh, it's called the Johannine, comma. And if you want on the nose, listen to this verse, uh, chapter uh, 5 of 1 John, verse 7. It says, For there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. That's the Trinity. It's the greatest passage uh, that has inspired Trinitarians and, and upheld the doctrine of the Trinity since 385 and beyond, and the Roman Catholic Church was happy about it, and it's a straightforward proof of the doctrine of the Trinity. It's right there in Scripture. Love it. Right I mean, isn't the Trinity clear from that? It sure is, but the problem is it was added. That was clearly added to the sacred text. I'm not going to go into all the evidence for it. Just look up Johannine comma on, on the Internet, online, and look at the reputable resources, and you'll see what it's all about. But the bottom line, it got its legs in the 15th century and the oldest evidence of it was 400 years after Christ, not before, which was conveniently after the initial establishment of the Trinity doctrine by men. And we notice that all the Bible versions that s- support the Johannine comma, uh, first epistle of John chapter five, verse seven, came from Roman Catholic sources And even one person who I greatly admire, Erasmus, stuck it into his 1522 edition, and it wasn't in some of his others. Uh, Anyone with a modicum of reason, not even having to be a scholar, can see that this on-the-nose explanation inserted there in John's epistle uh, was a... uh, Probably inserted somewhere along the line by a well-meaning Christian zealot scribe who wanted to make sure people adopted the man-made decision of the Trinity somewhere along the line. And it was all kind of came to a head around the fifth, 15th century. Sadly, I am therefore suspect of anything in Scripture that is not sustained by the rest of Scripture. And that includes Matthew 28:19 or the Great Commission Directive, which is one of them. Listen. I don't claim to understand the makeup of God, nor do I think that the Trinity is entirely wrong, Uh, not by a long shot, but I reject some parts of it as a manipulation and want only the right to share this opinion, but be respected and brought into the fellowship of being a, a Christian in spite of it. We do not find that. Let's take a look at some comments from last week's uh, Tuesday night show. And uh, wait, we have a call from Ramon. We're gonna take that really quickly. Ramon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Ramon. Ramon. Oh, oh. Hey, hey John. How, how you doing? Hey, good. How you doing, brother? I'm doing alright.
1: I'm surviving uh, this whole situation, but doing fine. Excellent. Well, uh, no, I just want to call and, and say, you know, no, no, thank you for everything that you do and great points that you make about, about the Trinity. It's definitely been a hot topic, hot topic among yeah. believers, especially. Uh, I've Got some friends who are trying to get into our differences between the, the topic right now. Oh yeah. Oh so, yeah. I have uh, two good friends who you know. I sent a one of your videos last year about the end of the age and the view of fulfillment. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> they they they, they will explode it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's good because uh, you have to open up for discussions and open up, you know, what they have, what they believe, and really how they see scriptures and things like that.
0: So, That's awesome. I
1: think we're growing. I think we're growing, even though we have different views and we're we're bad leaders. Yeah. Uh, one thing uh, uh outside of all the points and listen to you, tell listen to other people, I was thinking the other day, um, does the does anything that we try to Search on our own, even if it's a scripture or experiences and things like that, can we really, does that describe the true nature of God? And I don't know if it does make any sense, because I think the Trinity, let's is it's true, one thing i was thinking about it, let's the Trinity is true, how can that even explain His nature? Uh, and <laughs> Really know him completely. Because then uh, I think about it it was Jesus. Uh, It's through Jesus that we can relate to God. Yeah. So if if we have problems even understanding the nature of our neighbors, you know, to really know who they are, even our family members, how in the world are we going to try to really understand fully the nature of
0: God? I love that. I, I love that, uh, uh, Ramon. It's it's really insightful because you're exactly right. I can barely figure myself out sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah the nature of God is going to escape us no matter what. So I love that comment because it, it really makes sense. Yeah. Man, I was asking about that,
1: and, and, and that's like the same thing. Like, try to love perfectly the way Jesus loves and, and true love our neighbor, because we don't do it perfectly. It's through all through Jesus. And, and since it's true, the word, and the life, and every, and get through the Father, you know, to God, it's through Him, I see faith coming into play. Yeah. I, I, I believe, well, I don't I believe, because I still uh, search it. But I think strongly that the only way we're gonna know God is having faith in his son, and it's not like we're gonna go. we gonna know him I think he's gonna reveal himself to us through his son i agree i might I might be wrong and I think like whatever views would come up as human beings in our limited minds uh try to use uh biblical evidence I would think might be right to support our views. I think we were, we we're all going to divide. <laughs> 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 I think we this, this can go endless, 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 <laughs> endless until we decide. Look, we, we don't know the mind of God. Amen. How okay, can we know the mind of God? And he was so good, so loving that he gave his son. And through him, look, we can at least relate to him. Through His Son, not through all righteousness, not through all beings, just Amen. through His Son. So Amen. let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on having faith in Him and loving our neighbors. And God, out of His great mercy, decides to individually, definitely reveal Himself to us. Hey, God bless. If it's not then God bless too. Amen. I know,
0: I know what you think. If I'm wrong, or I'm a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I agree with you completely. I love your idea of faith and love. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I love it, uh, Ramon. Uh, I have one question for you. Yes. Uh, Illinois, have you been hit hard by the virus? Uh, well,
1: Chicago is being hit very hard, uh, so it's definitely... Something out there, uh, I live three hours away from Chicago so a live more like in the rural area
0: I see uh
1: but uh, I'm doing fine really just working from home, trying to wear masks and other precautions uh, yeah. out there yeah the really the person who's struggling the most is my brother who lives in new york city wow uh, he he told me like he he sees like, the uh how you say these things? I think the wagons and the big they're trucks
0: are full of
1: dead bodies.
0: Wow. And they
1: don't know what to do with those, like the funeral uh, funeral homes or crematories where, we, where you burn the bodies. People don't know what to do with it. And My brother told me something. I don't know if it's true or not. But he said there were some people burying people in Central Park. How many bodies wow. dead people are there. Sorry. They don't know what to do with it.
0: Wow, wild. Ramon, thanks so yeah. much for tuning in. Thanks for all your uh, prayers and support, brother. We love you. Thanks so much. I'll pronounce same. Take care. God bless you, brother. Talk to you later. Okay. Goodbye. Okay, We're going to Eric. Sorry, in Salt Lake City. Eric, you're on heart of the matter.
2: Hey, how you doing, John? It's Sarah Kong from Salt Lake City. You Tom with a caffeinated about a good question. How do you authentically convince convince people through logic and through the spirit that the Christian trish, uh, Christian tr- Trinity, the one that you are espousing, is the most authentic one that is closest to the what the apostles taught, especially to the Mormons? Since I still like to debate, I still like to argue sometimes. How do you convince that there's no one in purpose, but rather one in deity?
0: You're alive.
2: Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Are you back in Salt Lake City?
2: Uh, yes, I am back in Salt Lake City. I had a great time in San Diego. wasn't able to proselytize too much because um just didn't get around to it. But I still like to go by the Mormon temple and have a good time and meet a lot of people at co- colleges university, and I speak to the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I try to convince them the crux of Christianity is on Christ. He is God in the flesh. He is the Word. And how do you convince of the Biblical Protestant version, of, even the Catholic version of uh, the Trinity is the truth and not a relative perspective that can be interpreted however which way you want to. I believe you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free.
0: I, I don't try to convince people. I just try to love them, brother.
2: But the thing is that with the crux of that loving is great without love, it's pointless. What's pointless without love? That's why someone's passion because of such love. Not, I know it seems like I'm angry, but I have so much love and so much passion for it. I try to uh, convince through love through the facts of the Bible rather than through any additional scriptures. That's not essential. Got it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Eric. God bless you, brother. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right. We have a bunch of emails, and I don't have very much time, so I'm just going to hit I will get to your, e- your messages and emails from last week. I promise you, next week. Wendy just said, "Sure, you will. I will do it." Wendy has put them all up so we can read them, and we'll get back to them. But first, I won't get back to the ones I'm reading now. I'm no Mormon, but I think regular Christian churches should help out more too. Uh, that's what uh, Anna said. Why X Y Z acts debate, and the adversary smiles in delight. How sad uh RSK 566 said that's a great statement that in that email at 5355 institutions governed by men to remove their own self-worth. Clark Davis said good job, Sean really blessings brother. Uh David, he wrote, I watched your video. Thank you for planning to take the time to address the verses. The Bible I shared with you. I'm interested how you're going to understand them. I'm interested in what you have to say. I agree with you that these types of discussions should not be divisive and hope you receive my message not as such. I'm curious if you see this as a topic regarding salvation. Not at all. Not at all. If as a Trinitarian I acknowledge all three entities as one God and worship them as such, do you think that I'm not saved? Not at all. Uh, i trying not to be argumentative. Just want to know your thoughts. He's a very polite man, and his questions are good. And so I do not see that at all. I do, Just like what uh, uh, our caller said, uh, we, uh, we see through a glass darkly. We're trying. I just have some resistance to some certain things. Truth Seeker says, uh, the superstitious trinity is a lie. The real trinity are... Three individual heavenly beings, proven by the fact that it takes at least two individuals to love each other like Jesus and his Father do. The Holy Spirit is yet another comforter, another third heavenly being sent to mankind in Christ's absence. So he has a different version of God. He says the Trinity is a superstitious lie and that there are three beings Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all gods, all beings. Uh, So to speak, maybe not all gods. He didn't say that, but that's what it kind of leads to Uh, a He wrote the God who happens to be a singular person is as pathetic as you, whoever you are. You're simple. I said, is this directed to brother? And he said, whoever believes that God is a singular person I said sorry to offend, and this led to a whole long thing between him and me. And then a guy named E. Christian got in there and talked to him. And then finally, uh, this man wrote, God has loved and revealed themselves. God has loved and revealed themselves. That's Trinitarian doctrine. To their own beyond measure, and it's all preserved in Scripture Your lack of thirst for the word and your dependency on commentaries is evidence against you. Repent, your idol worshiping is evident or perish. And he wrote simple again. Uh, And so that proves my point. And we're going to get to uh, the show from last night's uh, show uh, later because we are out of time and I will promise you I'll cover these from MH and from three piggies and Stephanie Smith and from Madison Kuhn and for David and from Jack Dawson and from Dean Metcalf and from J78. I will read all those next week. I'll open up with them. In fact, just to let you know, we care about what you have to write, but I do want to say this last thing, the Trinity and doctrines like it, when they're made by men will cause men to split the doctrines of God do not cause us to split. They cause be people who believe on his son to unite. When you get a doctrine that will divide a people, I don't believe it's of God. I think it's of man and I think it's of our darkness and our will. When you get a doctrine that unites us in love and faith, that's of God. And that's how I interpret scripture. Does my interpretation of this passage lead to more faith and more love, or does it lead to less faith and more anger and hatred toward other people? And if I interpret a passage of scripture that causes me to look down on, condemn and dislike and divide from other people who follow Christ, then I see my interpretation as faulty. Consider that. Join us next week. And listen, I think, unless we get some kind of thing from the state, I think we're going to open up our studios again and have a live audience beginning the 17th uh, here for the Heart of the Matter show on Tuesday, the 17th. We're opening up the church campus on the 15th. No, the 17th uh, is uh, Sunday. And the 19th, we're opening up to a live audience here to watch the show from the people who come in and hang out. That's if, unless we all fall over and die beforehand. Uh, But love you. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Write your comments down. Oh, wait, we have one more caller really quick. It's Patrick. Hello? Patricio.
3: Patricio. How are you, brother?
0: Good, man. What's up?
3: Hey, um, not much. I'm just enjoying life, I guess. But, if you hear your voice, I just had a few comments. Um, The way, I just wanted to say, the way I see God, and I know you're short on time, so I'll keep this short. I can't explain the God of the universe in, like, like less than a minute. But, I'll do my best. um, The way I see you there, Sean? Yeah. The way I see God is the candle theory. You've probably heard this before. God is fire, and can see an all-consuming fire, according to the Old and the New Testament, then Jesus, the Word made flesh, came out of that fire. You have a candle, I have a candle. I light, My candle's on fire. You light that candle, you light your candle off of mine. It's the same flame, but it's in two different places. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, but he's not the father as the son. He's not the father, but same, same, still the same flame. Your flame is not my flame, even though it came from the same place. So it's the same, they all, it's still the same nature, the same everything. I know Trinity uses those terms and I'm not a, I wouldn't consider myself a Trinitarian. But I believe, because I don't like labels, but I believe that that's how I see God, is Jesus is that flame. He's the word that came down, that God spoke into existence. He's he's God. And so that's why, uh, that's how I see Jesus exalted. God exalted Jesus, the Son, because I exalted. And you've taught that in Philippians. That's how I see Jesus, the Father.
0: Love it, brother.
3: Take it as you will.
0: I love you, Sean. Love you, too. Thanks for calling, Patrick. Hope you're well. Hey,
3: God bless. Thank you. hope you're well, too. Thanks.
0: Bye, everyone. Bye. All right, we're out of time. See you next week on Heart of the Matter.